I want to think this evening on the impact of adoption. Irish comedian uh, PJ Gallagher uh, was adopted. And I was listening to an interview with him one day uh, on the radio. And he said, I didn't really find out that I was adopted. The interviewer had asked him, well, you know, how did you find out? And he said, well, I didn't really find out. I found out that everyone else wasn't. He says, I met a guy at school who wasn't adopted. And I said to somebody, I said, he's, he's still with his first parents. He literally can't get anyone to take him. I just thought that was great. I thought, uh, I thought that, that's a perfect illustration of what it's like to be a Christian. There's a lot of people who are still with their first parents, Adam and Eve. But we've been adopted. And it's a magnificent thing. A wonderful thing. And the wonder of adoption is that we have a new father. A new older brother. We had been in an abusive relationship uh, with Satan, the father of lies. But yet we've been found. And we've been brought into a new home by a loving, generous, sacrificial family who will go to the utmost lengths uh, to bring us home. Sorry, I've just remembered the notes are sitting here, the handouts. There's not a huge amount on them, but I'll give you the headings. Here's this incredible truth that has been hugely neglected throughout church history, um, missed, overlooked, and yet is so wonderfully rich. And I wonder, has it sunk in to you yet? You know, even reading Matthew 6 there, uh, even reading Matthew 6, uh, there were things in it that I was seeing through new eyes. The amount of repetition of the word Father, some of the, the way Jesus puts things, have huge implications for us if we remember we're adopted by God and we hold that truth in mind. J.I. Packer said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of, being th- of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Then he says this, If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook in life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. J.I. Packer doesn't give himself to exaggeration. He doesn't overstate things. He's a very careful uh, Englishman. Yeah, this is what he says. Adoption is like a pair of glasses. Lenses through which you can see Scripture, your relationship with God, far more clearly. And that's what we want to look at. Five ways adoption should impact us. Adoption should impact your view of God. 
It should impact your view of God or change your view of God. I wonder how you see God. Sometimes we can see God as a master, a taskmaster, hard to please, standing over you, watching you as you fail, noting every detail of your failure like a fussy parent or a picky boss uh, saying, no, no, you haven't done that. And then you do, you know, and what about this? You haven't done that. And that's not done right. And th- we can see God like that. We're all too aware of our failures. We see God as a hard taskmaster. He's a lawgiver, a judge. And we find ourselves perhaps cowering almost in fear, waiting for his next expression of disapproval. And we're always trying to please him, but he never seems to be happy. Is that how you see God? Do you have what one writer called the prodigal suspicion? He imagines the prodigal son coming home and his father welcoming him. The son, this isn't part of the, the Bible story. It's not the way Jesus tells it. But this writer imagines the, that son coming home and always wondering, always thinking, when, when will it happen? When will my father say, now I'm going to deal with you? Now you're going to have to pay for what you've done. Now I'm going to throw you out. Or maybe he's, he, he slips up and this time he expects his father to say to him, now that's the last straw, you're out. He's not that kind of a father. Or we could see God as some sort of shopkeeper, um, some sort of business arrangement. It's the opposite side of the coin of seeing God as a master, uh, the person who uh, is fearful, uh, might be inclined to see God as a master. Have I pleased him? Have I pleased him? Have I pleased him yet? The person who is overconfident, well, have a sort of a business contract idea of God. And they will think, well, I've done this and I've done that and I have uh, all this that I've done. I've done it very well. And God, you owe me. And they, they barter with God and they bargain with God. If I do this, you do this. Or I did this and you haven't upheld your end of the bargain, God. And then... We get exasperated. We think God's not fair. And irate with God. And we blame God. And we we stamp our foot with God. But we're not to see God as some sort of business arrangement. He's a father. And we're not to see God as a teacher. Perhaps you see God as a teacher. He's given us a book. An instruction manual, and we're to study it and learn. Yes, that's true. Do you remember how you thought of some of your teachers? You know, you kept your head down when they asked a question, and uh, you hoped they didn't look, and you didn't make eye contact for fear they would notice, and you were afraid of the upcoming text, and you got your books out with a sense of drudgery. Oh, here we go. We've got to do this. Is God a teacher? Well, we could see God as simply a saviour. 
That's true. Could it be a bad thing? Well, yes. Why did Jesus die? Was it simply to save us? Was it simply to pay for our sins, to get us to heaven when we die? No. He died so that you could enjoy his father as your father. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We read in Matthew 5 of Jesus telling his disciples how they're now to live. And over and over again he says, look, you don't need to worry about this. You don't need to do that because you've got a father. When you even talk to him, don't talk the way the pagans do and the religious people do. Come and say, Father. God is not simply a savior to us. Because gratitude isn't enough for the Christian life. Sometimes people say that gratitude should move us and motivate us as we live the Christian life. That's partly true. Gratitude doesn't motivate my marriage. I don't get up and go, oh, I'm so thankful Judith married me. I must seek to serve her today. That's not how marriage works. I hope that's not news. To, to, uh, it's love. It's relationship. I do what I do because I love her. I'm married to her. There's a relationship there. Gratitude is part of it, but it's way, way bigger than that. And if we only see Jesus as Savior, we'll fall short of seeing God as Father. Jesus is our Savior from sin to bring us into his family so that we can enjoy our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We, should need, we need to see God as Father. God the Father as our Father. This is Jesus' great burden, that he could bring you. The greatest thing that God the Son knows is how wonderful God the Father is. And he wants you to know that. That's his great burden. He prays on the night before he dies, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. This is what he wants for us, that we would know his Father. Jesus died so that you could know his Father. And we need to work at this to enjoy this. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He brings us to the Father. Um, Martin Luther wrote this um, in his commentary in Galatians, where Paul talks a lot about God adopting us. Um, he says, This little word, Father, conceived effectually in the heart, passes all the eloquence of Demosthenes and Cicero and the most eloquent speakers that were ever in the world. He says, if we can conceive, if we can take that one word, Father, and let it blossom in our hearts, 
It is far more eloquent and beautiful than anything you could hear from the finest speakers in the world. Those people who are masters of words and make words dance like butterflies on a breeze and they're a delight to listen to. Well, if you could take the word Father and turn it over and think on it and ponder it in your heart, it would be far more eloquent than listening to the richest, sweetest preachers and speakers. It changes our view of God. When you think of God, do you see yourself standing in the courtroom? Do you see yourself standing at a shop counter? God on the other side of it and says, what would you like? Well, I would like this and I've done this and here's, here's what I'll give you for doing that. Do you see God as standing in a classroom and you sta- sitting at a desk having to work hard and do what the teacher says? Or do you find yourself sitting in a living room in a family setting He's a father. He's a father. Adoption changes how we see God. You don't serve your father the way you serve a boss. You don't drive a hard bargain with a father the way you do in a business arrangement. You don't relate to God simply the way you would do a teacher. And Satan wants us to do all of that, so work hard. Work hard. Hear the word Father in Scripture. Hear the word Father when we pray. Take it and think it over and over in your mind. Secondly, adoption changes your view of you. Changes your view of you. How do you see yourself? Depending on our temperament, some people think too highly of themselves. Some people think too lowly of themselves. A person who thinks too lowly of themselves feels useless, feels inadequate, feels a failure, feels that, look, I'm a nobody in this world. The people that are around me, they've achieved something with their lives. They're going somewhere, but I'm not. Their children are a success, but mine aren't. You know, all these sorts of thoughts. Adoption tells you that you are a son, a daughter for the King of Kings. That's who you are. That is who you are. That's not something to feel lowly about. You're a son, a daughter, the King of Kings. You can stand beside the presidents. You can stand beside the politicians. And you can say, never mind what they've done. You can stand beside those who are successful. You say, never mind what they've achieved. I am a son. I'm a daughter of the King of Kings. He has set his love on me. Look at Matthew 6, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And in this lovely line, 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Your heavenly Father feeds them. He feeds everybody else in the world. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here's what um, a former uh, Reformed Presbyterian minister, I say former, I mean he passed away about 250 years ago, Thomas Houston wrote, he was listing some of the blessings that are yours. You are brought into the glorious freedom of the sons of God. All creatures, intelligent and irrational, animate and inanimate, are rendered subservient to your best interests. Everything in the universe is set to serve your best interests. Angels minister to you. All things, and all things good and bad and hostile, work together for your good. The love and care of your heavenly Father provides for you and gives to you all spiritual blessings. Sin shall not have dominion over you. In the end, all corruption shall be completely done away with. All your failings and conflicts, in all your failings and conflicts, He spares you. In straits and sorrows, He relieves and comforts you. In doubts, He enlightens you. He heals your backslidings. He preserves your feet from falling. He loves you freely. You're the focus of infinite, immense love. You are a child of the King. He's loved you from before time. He's given you a privilege high above even what the angels have. They only know His holiness. But you know His grace and mercy. You know a depth of love that the angels can never know. Peter writes, even the angels long to look into these things. You might feel a failure as a Christian. Well, we always want to grow in the Christian life. But we were failures before we started the Christian life, and he loved us and adopted us then. And he says, he assures us that nothing will lessen that love. You might feel so worthless that you wouldn't even feel that God could do anything with you. Why would God want me? Well, that's the beauty. He wants us when no one else does. You're a child of the King. When you see yourself a million, million years from now in glory, I don't think you'll look back and think, you know, for that minuscule amount of time that I was on earth, I wasn't, I didn't fulfill all my dreams. You'll look at yourself for all the millennia of glory and you will think, wow, I'm a child of God. He's my Father. This is who I am. And if on the other hand we're tempted to think too highly of ourselves, we need to remember we were adopted. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Nothing about me got me into this family. I contribute, well, I was going to say precisely nothing, that's not even true. I contribute all my sin 
I can't pat myself on the back. No child can pat themselves on the back and say, well done me for coming into this family. I picked supremely well in choosing this family to be born into. Not at all. Uh, Prince George uh, can't pat himself on the back and say, look, well done me for choosing William and Kate. Um, it's not how it works. Um, there's no room for either swaggering or sorrowing. We're adopted children of a heavenly Father. Let it seep into your bones. Adoption changes your view of God. It changes your view of you. It changes your view of life. How do you see life? Does it scare you? Right at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus speaks to his followers, and he's setting out for them what following him will mean. And he's telling them that they're to have their treasure in heaven, that they're, to, uh, they're not to let all their, um, their obedience uh, sit out in the open. He's telling them the, the requirements that God has for them. You can imagine them worrying about the future. And Jesus says to them, you don't need to worry about the future. You have a Father in heaven. You live in your Father's world. We could add to it that our brother sits on the throne. And everything that comes to you comes from a loving Father's hand. That's easy to say. It's easy to hear. It's hard to remember and believe. So will you believe it? Will you keep the glasses on? Satan wants us to take the glasses off when we look at life, when we look at tomorrow and next week and next year, when we look at sickness, when we look at suffering, when we look at uncertainty in farming, when we look at uncertainty in health. He wants us to take these glasses off and not see Everything that comes to us is coming from the hand of a Father who controls everything for our good. Put the glasses on. Please, keep them on. And see everything that comes to you as coming from the hand of a Father who cares. I've used the illustration a number of times, and I've lost track of where all have used it, but there's a couple in our Trinity congregation whose little boy uh, has, uh, has leukemia. And as far as he's concerned, going to hospital has made him very sick. And the medicine he takes has made him feel utterly terrible. You know, he was okay until he went into hospital, as far as he knows. Of course, that's when he started the treatment. And all the treatments and all the pain and all the hurt and his hair falling out and all of that but he takes the medicine that he thinks is making him sick. He takes it because his mum and dad tell him it's good for him. And he trusts his mum and dad. He knows they love him. And they wouldn't do anything to harm him. Although he's convinced that it makes him sick, he believes that his mum and dad love him. And when they say it's for his good, he takes it. And Helen, his mum, had written a piece uh, to her friend saying, you know, we're learning from Henry. Henry's teaching us that when our Father gives us something that seems poisonous to us, we need to trust him that it's for our good 
Here's a little four-year-old or five-year-old teaching his parents that they can trust their father because that's what he does. Will we believe that? It changes how we see life. Life is not random. It's not chaotic. It's not cruel. If you're one of God's people, your father rules everything for you. You're a child who can have confidence in your father's care. Will you believe it? Will you preach it to yourself? Here's Luther again. If I could only truly believe it, that God, the creator of heaven and earth and all things, is my father, I could conclude that Christ is my brother and that all things are mine, Gabriel, my servant, Raphael, my charioteer, and all the angels ministering to me in my necessities and sent to my aid by my heavenly Father. We can trust Him for the ordinary things. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Don't worry about these things. The pagans run after them. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Therefore, do not worry. You know, there, there, there are commands in the Bible, do not worry. Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything. Do not worry about tomorrow. Those commands seem awfully cold when we hear them just like that. But in both cases, God puts himself right before the command. In Philippians 4, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. All right, I get that. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Matthew 6. Your heavenly Father knows what you need. Therefore, don't worry. Your Father knows. He's here. He knows. And yet we forget and we worry and we panic. And we can trust Him with all the ordinary troubles and we can trust Him with all the hard times. Your Father has a purpose in every circumstance. Whether, whatever, if it happens in the big scale, whatever happens in the economy, whatever happens in the milk market or the the beef market or the price of lamb, whatever happens with the weather and the climate and the growing season, whatever happens in silage time, whatever happens in government, whatever happens in our health, whatever happens in small things, Cars breaking down and machinery failing. Remember that behind it all is a father who is doing it solely for your good. It takes faith to hang on to that. It takes faith to keep on believing it. But we see at the cross that our father proves that even the darkest days are for our good. And he proves them with his own pain. He doesn't ask us to do something that he hasn't road tested himself, as it were. That's the lens. That's the non-negotiable. Our Father is good. We know it. I want to preach it to myself so that I don't forget. Adoption means we can Live life with a confidence, knowing that our Father rules this world. 
And then two things to close with. Adoption changes your view of the Christian life. Changes your view of the Christian life. How do you see the Christian life? Read your Bible, pray, go to church, go to the Bible study, obey, witness. Do, 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 do. The Christian life is changed when we remember that we've been brought into a family. Prayer is talking to our Father. I wonder if our children talk to us the way we sometimes pray. Most exalted leader of the house, here I have a list of requests. Cheese, milk, breakfast. (laughs) A list of stuff that we sometimes go over with God, saying the same old things over and over and over again. I wonder if our children did that to us. Would we we get the hint? Hold on, I, I do treat God like that. Um, or if our children in the middle of talking to us, and here's one I'm guilty of, uh, Dad, hello, I want to talk to you, Dad, about this. And, uh, oh, what's that over there? Oh, look at that, that's very interesting. Sorry, Dad, I was talking to you about this. Um, (sighs) Prayer is talking to our Father about what concerns us. We don't need to read out lists. Yes, we want to be praying for people who concern us, who we're concerned about. It's useful to have lists, but let's not make... Sometimes we need lists to keep our minds from wandering, and they're helpful for that, but sometimes the lists become almost like a Buddhist prayer wheel where you know they, they don't even have lists. They just pin the list uh, on, and they give it a spin, and the, the, the gods see it, and that's their praying done. Um, no, we're talking to a father about what concerns us. Let's remember that. When we come to read our Bibles, this is our family history. This is to look at the family photograph album. This is to read the family accounts. It sounds dull until you realize that the family accounts are loaded with treasure. Let's let's see our, our Bible reading differently. It's a catalogue of the riches that belong to your family. It's a description of who your father is. It's a description of your brother. It's a description of how we live in the family. It changes the way we see obedience. There's a a, a verse there, the end of chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ooh, that's, that's a terrifying verse to us. But in the ancient world, to be a son meant that you took on the characteristics of your father. It was expected that a son of a blacksmith would be a blacksmith. It was expected that the son of a shepherd would be a shepherd. And, And the father would equip the son to do that. So even in that command, there's a there's a promise, a hidden promise that this is, this is the normal thing. This is what sons are like. Sons become like their father. Obedience comes from the father. It comes to you. The father helps you with it. You learn to walk in his steps the same way a son is an apprentice to their father and learns his trade. The father helps us with it. It doesn't simply say, be perfect as God is perfect. Jesus deliberately, it would seem, uses the phrase heavenly father because 
of the, the imagery that goes with it, the Father and Son working together. Obedience is what sons and daughters do. We don't want to dishonor our family. There was a Polish prince, apparently, who used to carry a photograph of his, or, not a, or maybe, a, maybe it was even a, a little painting, a miniature of his father. And on certain occasions, he would take it out and look at it and say, let me do nothing unbecoming so excellent a father. Didn't want to let his father down. As we go out from here and as we go into this next week, let this truth change how you think of the Christian life. Weave it in to your praying. Weave it into your Bible reading. Weave it into your obeying. Even when obeying is hard, remember, no, I'm bringing honor to my Father. This is what my Father calls me to do. And finally, adoption changes your view of other people. Adoption should change your view of other people. We live in a world where there's an awful lot of loneliness, where there's an awful lot of discarded people. They could be literal orphans. Ah, They don't have to be orphans. There's just lots of people who are orphan-like, Nobody's interested in them. Nobody cares for them. They're lonely. We who were lonely, we who were outcasts, we of all people should have time for the orphan, uh, the outcast, the lonely, the widow. James 1.27 quoted it a couple of weeks ago at our morning service. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We put a lot of focus on the last part of that, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But before that, James has spoken about looking out for the needy, the lonely. If we are Christians who've experienced so much in our adoption, that has to impact us practically. We ought to be people who open up our homes to those around us. It may be for adoption, very hard in Ireland. It may be for fostering or respite care. It may be opening up our homes to have just other people to come in and to have a place to have a cup of tea. Um, It may be providing a place for people to sit down uh, and to... Uh, They have our time. They have our conversation. It may not even be our homes. It may be out and about uh, where people feel that we are there for them and that they can talk to us and that we care and are interested in them. God made time for us. If he hadn't made time for us, we'd be lost forever. We need to make time for people the lost, the lonely, the disadvantaged, the hurting in the way that God made time for us and make them part of our lives in whatever way we can, showing kindness and welcome Jesus in here 
uh, tells us not to store up for ourselves treasures on earth, but instead we're to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I was reading just this morning in Luke 16, where Jesus tells his disciples that we're to use our resources here to gain friends who will welcome us into heaven. He's saying, you know, use what you've got here to reach people, to show kindness to them so that they can see something of the love of the family and the Father that you have. So they'll want to know that Father too. So they will find a home in His home. And when you go home, they'll meet you there. we finish, let's work hard at grasping the wonder of adoption. Let's, as we read our Bibles, mark those places that say, Father, think them over. As we pray, let's work hard even at starting our prayers by saying, Father, as we look at life And we're inclined to say to ourselves, God, why have you done this? Stop for a moment and say, Father, help me to trust you with this. Let's work at remembering what Jesus has won for us, this beautiful adoption into his Father's family where we are one of the King's children. Let's pray. Father in heaven, What a wonderful address we have. That we could call you Father. That we could see ourselves as children of the Lord of hosts. That we could call Jesus our brother. That the angels would be, as it were, our servants. That you would orchestrate everything in this universe for the good of your children. Help us to remember. Help us to see. Help us to grasp. Help us to work hard at keeping on the glasses that you have given to us, the glasses that see you more clearly, the glasses that enable us to see life more clearly, that enable us to see the ups and downs of life as in the hands of a kind and loving Father who has proved at the cross that even the darkest moment is for the greatest good. Help us to relish and revel in this truth in such a way that people will see that there is a Father in heaven who would love them and adopt them, that there is a brother who would go to the cross, and there is the Holy Spirit who would come and live in them and help them and eventually take them safely home. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.